This summer, we have been hearing from the book of James. The book of James tells us that the Bible is like a mirror. We look into the Word of God to see what we are really like. Today, the Word of God is going to show us something that's reflected in every life represented here. Whether this is the first day you've ever been in worship or whether you've worshiped God for decades, this one is for all of us. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of James, chapter 1. We're going to read verse 12 together from the book of James, chapter 1. Let's stand together in honor of the reading of the Word of God from James, chapter 1. It says, Blessed is anyone who endures temptation, such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord to the people of God. And we all said, Father, thank you for your word. I pray that as we look into it, you would give us a clear picture of who we are. But Father, I pray that you would give us an even clearer picture of who we could be. I pray that we would walk away different people. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. By day, James Eads served as a therapist, counseling drug and alcohol addicts, trying to help them find freedom. But every afternoon, he went to casinos and gaming places. He stayed until late at night. At one point, he'd maxed out over 17 credit cards. He'd accrued various amounts of debt involving $245,000. The addiction counselor had become addicted. How does that happen? It happens because everyone, everyone is tempted No matter what your age or your profession, your spiritual experience, no matter how long you've been on the journey, and no matter whether you recognize it or not, you will be tempted. James says that we look into the Word to see ourselves, and if we honestly look into the Word, the Word will actually reflect back out to us the things that tempt us. Are you brave enough this morning to look into the Word and to see some of the things that tempt us. If so, stick around. If not, you know where the exits are. We look into the Word, and it shows us who we are, but we look into the Word, and it also shows us who Jesus is. In the Gospels, just after Jesus is baptized, it says the heavens opened, whatever that means, and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, whatever that means. He heard God say that the Father approved of and loved Jesus. He heard God say that in Jesus, God was really well pleased. And then Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, was tempted. It isn't just the addicts in counseling. The counselor gets tempted. It isn't just the worshipers at the church, the pastor gets tempted. It isn't just the disciples in Scripture. Jesus gets tempted. You're going to be tempted. 
I'm going to be tempted. The greatest saint you've ever known was tempted. Everyone's tempted. So the question is, why? At times it's bothered me that in the book of Matthew, at that point in Scripture when Jesus is done being baptized and he goes out into the wilderness, you know what it says? It says the Spirit, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. That's bothered me before. Some friends of mine have also been bothered by the very first temptation recorded in all of Scripture. Back in the Garden of Eden, in the beginning at the story, Adam and Eve could only be tempted to eat that forbidden fruit because God planted the forbidden tree in the garden he put them in. Why did God allow that tree to grow? Why do we have liquor and casinos and heroin and opioids and pornography sites? Where are there apps that facilitate hookups and adultery and cheap sex? Why does the world have all these tempting things? Does God just get some kind of strange thrill out of tantalizing us? The answer is no. James 1.13 says this, No one when tempted should say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself tempts no one. 1 John 1.5 says this, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If you're tempted to do something that would hurt you, or hurt someone else, if you're tempted to do something that would bring destruction into a relationship, know this, it's not God that's tempting you. God is good. God is good. God is good all the time. God is good. And what's more, God created you good. And God created the world good. But here's the thing. God created us free. And God created the world free. Freedom is good, but freedom means temptation. We can choose. Freedom means temptation, even if it's not God who's doing the tempting the gospel says that out there in the desert, Jesus was tempted by the devil. In Genesis chapter 1, a talking serpent, part of God's free creation, pointed Eve's attention to the forbidden tree. For centuries, people have labeled that serpent in Genesis chapter 3 as Satan or the devil. And that's because the New Testament, in the New Testament, Satan is the tempter. It says he's the tempter, and it talks about a serpent there, but it also says that, that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Later on in the letter, James chapter 4 says that if we resist the devil, he must flee from us. Between you and me, for me, that might not be necessary. You see, if I run into a serpent or a roaring lion... I'm not going to be wanting to follow after the serpent or the roaring lion or hang around and have a conversation. Uh, you show me a serpent or a roaring lion and I'm out. Pastor Dan has left the building. Don't laugh at me. If we march a roaring lion un uncaged down this aisle followed by a serpent, this place is going to empty in a second. 
me ask you a question. In the moments you've been tempted, have you ever seen a big furry orange or tan mane? Have you ever seen fangs? Have you ever heard a rattle or a slither or a roar or a hiss? Me neither. It's never been that dramatic. True temptation is never that dramatic. The truth is, sometimes when we're being tempted, we don't even recognize that it's temptation. When Jesus is in the desert, we're not told how Satan presented himself to Jesus. We don't know what he looked like, but we do know how he attempted him. The first temptation that Jesus faced was was a temptation to turn stones into bread, to use his power to satisfy his hunger. Jesus' first temptation came from his natural desire to eat. So, the last time that you skipped a meal or two because you were busy and you got real hungry, did you immediately say to yourself, it's the devil? No. You just started looking for a candy bar. James 1.14 says this, but one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Back in the garden, Eve saw that the fruit of the tree was desirable to the eyes and to make one wise like God. That tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Even Adam had this natural curiosity and this desire to be wise like God. And out of that desire, she and Adam took the fruit and their eyes were opened. And immediately they were stressed out and ashamed and hiding and self-conscious about it. Erla told me that um, one of the great speakers that they had at Nazarene Youth Conference in Arizona, uh, his name was Eric Samuel Tim. That's right. The man has three first names. I think that's kind of cool, but even cooler than that, Eric Samuel Tim made a brilliant observation. He's noticed that the rise of anxiety and depression in our culture has happened at about the same time as the rise of the use of social media in our culture. He thinks those two things are related. He suggests that that through these gadgets that we all carry around and we're all constantly looking at, we have an incredible ability to know everything that's going on with our friends. And actually, we kind of have the the ability to be everywhere with our friends. You know what they call you when you can know everything? If you can know everything, people will call you omniscient, all-knowing. Do you know what they call you if you can be everywhere? People will call you omnipresent, ever-present. Folks, those are the qualities of God. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. He's omniscient. That means he knows everything. That's what God is like. And we were never meant to carry that weight. When we try to be everywhere and know everything it overwhelms us with anxiety and depression. 
So obviously the problem is our phones. We need to get rid of our phones. Well, not exactly. According to James, the problem is our desire to be everywhere and know everything. The problem is our innate desire to be our own gods. A fly fishing guide once told John Ortberg that to catch a fish, you have to think like a fish. To a fish, life is see the fly, want the fly, eat the fly. That's what all of life is like for a fish. A fish isn't lured by a lure. They don't want a fake fly. The fish is lured by its appetite. The fish's own appetite deceives the fish into thinking it wants a fake fly attached to a hook and a string. Our own desire fools us into thinking we want to be an all-knowing, omniscient, ever-present God rather than trusting the all-knowing ever-present God. You see, that's the sneaky thing about a temptation. It doesn't show up with a big mane and a big roar, and it doesn't show up with a slithering tongue and a rattle. That's the sneaky thing about temptation. It isn't the devil that made me do it. It isn't the technology that made me do it. It isn't our messed up culture that made me do it. Those things may play a part, but according to the book of James, temptation is an inside job. It comes from our own desires. At my house, when there are chocolate candies and potato chips sitting out on the counter, I often ate way too many of them. Here's the thing, if we'll put them in the cupboard and shut the doors, um, I'm a little less likely to eat them all that fast, but the truth is it's not a total solution because here's the thing, there's something inside of me that will send me looking. I'll start opening doors, and if I don't see doors open, I'll make my way to the convenience store eventually because the temptation starts with the desire inside of me. In the case of John the gambler, it was his desire for a big financial score or maybe his just, just his desire for the rush of winning at the game that put him and his family hopelessly in debt. We are all tempted, and if we're ever going to continue to endure temptation, if we're ever going to come out victorious when we're tempted, we've got to realize temptation begins with our own desires and not necessarily bad desires usually it's a normal desire but then it just keeps progressing and progressing and progressing after that a man sees a perfectly appropriate image of an attractive woman and clicks on it the next picture he sees shows a woman in a more provocative pose and as he keeps clicking and clicking and clicking the next picture and the next picture and the next picture reveal more and more and more skin and fewer and fewer and fewer clothes it begins in desire and it always progresses 
James 1.15 says this, Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James uses a metaphor that we see a lot around here. In fact, we hear it around here sometimes. You see, in case you weren't aware, the babies that are here around the church, um, well, I hope you know this, those babies begin with a desire between their parents. Did you know that? Everybody, everybody with me? Okay, so the frisky couple act on their desire. Are you with me? And at that point, the baby is conceived, and then we all get to see that the baby grows after conception. And it grows, and it grows, and it affects every part of life, and eventually this couple gives birth to this brand new, beautiful little baby. It begins in desire, and it goes from desire to conception, to growth, to the birth of a beautiful new life, and it's a wonderful progression that's designed by God, and it starts with the desire that God created as a holy desire. James says temptation points that metaphor in exactly the opposite direction. First, there is desire. Whatever the desire is, whether it's sexual desire or some other kind of desire, whatever the desire is, temptation begins in desire. And if we act wrongly in response to the desire, sin is conceived. And here's the thing. Sin never stays stagnant. If we allow sin to remain in our lives, it grows and grows and grows till it affects absolutely every part of life and every part of us. And it's only a matter of time before sin gives birth, not to life, but to death of one kind or another. One night, John Eads, the addiction counselor who was an addict to gambling, couldn't take it anymore. He pulled over at a rest stop and reached into the glove compartment, but it was empty. His gun was gone. When he got home, he went into the, into the house, he hugged his wife, and he thanked her for taking the gun and saving his life. But he was in for another surprise. She said, I love you and I'm glad you're okay, but I didn't hide the gun to save your life. I sold it to pay the electric bill. Not long after that day, John Eads had to call EMS to rescue her after she took an entire bottle of pills. Sin grows, and it eventually leads to death. Sometimes the death of a person or of a relationship. Sometimes the death of an opportunity. But eventually sin gives birth to what the, the book of Hebrews calls the second death. Separation from God for eternity in torment. If we want to resist temptation, if we want to endure temptation, sometimes the fear of that second death, eternity apart from God and torment, sometimes that can be good motivation in the moment. Sometimes fear can motivate us in the moment. But the problem with, this, with that is that the process is so slow. It's not like desire yields death that day. It's a process that happens over a long period of time. 
And in the moment of desire, we're not usually thinking about hell, are we? And desire is where it starts. I think that's why James uses a very particular image in verse 12. Let's look at it again. It says, Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This verse has all kinds of sports imagery in it. You may not see it, so, so let me unpack it for you. The crown that he's talking about is probably a crown or, or a wreath of olive shoots that's placed on the crown of someone who wins an athletic contest. They've endured, they've won, they get the crown. Right now, um, the fall sports are cranking up. Soccer, football, volleyball, they're all in two-a-day practices. Cross-country students are, are putting in the miles they need to be ready for the season to start. And yes, those teams will do some inter-squad scrimmaging, and sometimes the athletes will go head-to-head -head against each other, seeking a spot on the team and trying to name, make the team better. But, uh, but after a summer of sleeping in and eating ice cream and laying by the pool, their greatest opponent isn't another player in a different jersey. This time of year when they're trying to get back in shape and trying to, to win a place on the team and trying to become a team, their greatest opponent is inside their own uniform. If the athletes who practice this week are going to one day wear the crown of victory at the state championship, then they have to defeat their own desires this week. They have to defeat their own desires for rest and air conditioning and potato chips and soda they have to learn to say no to their desires before they'll ever be able to say yes in victory. Same is true for us when we try to endure temptation. When Jesus went into the desert to be tempted, he'd actually been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry when that first temptation came about, and you remember what it was, he was tempted to use his power to turn stones into bread. <laughs> now you would think after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, he was more susceptible and more vulnerable to that temptation. But that's not actually the truth. Fasting meant Jesus had already trained himself to say no to his physical desire. He was actually better at saying no because he'd been in 40 days of training. Do you realize that the practice of fasting is it's really a gift from God to us? Because remember, temptation always begins in desire. So if we learn how to train ourselves to say no to our desires, we're learning to endure temptation when you can say no to hunger, you're getting training in, in how to say no to lust and rage and greed and a hundred other temptations. Fasting is a gift from God that can help with temptation because it trains us to, th to say no to our desires. But I need to be honest with you. 
there's a reason that we don't see that national campaign anymore. You remember the one that said, just say no? You remember that? Have you seen that on TV recently? No, you haven't. And there's a reason you haven't. If we just stop with that, it doesn't work. I say this a lot around the church. Salvation by subtraction will never be enough. Say that with me. Salvation by subtraction will never be enough. I once had a neighbor who, with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous, overcame alcohol addiction, and it was pretty bad when he started. It probably would have destroyed his family. It may have even killed him. But over a period of weeks, he learned to say no to alcohol. But within a year, he was addicted to opioids and gambling. I saw in a news story, he wound up in prison for aggravated assault and lost his family. His marriage died in the process. Simply saying no to temptation does not guarantee the crown of life because saying no creates a void that has to be filled. I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say that I'll bet you there's been a run at, of, on sports drinks at Walmart in the past week or so. And I bet there will be for another two weeks or so. You see, all those athletes who've turned away from soda pop and ice cream and started practicing twice a day in the heat and sweating and sweating and sweating, they've, they've got to recharge and refill somehow. At some point, saying no to temptation only works if we're saying yes to something else. Faith isn't just about what we give up. Faith is really about what we receive. James chapter 1, verse 17 says this, Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. If you are going to endure temptation, you need a steady source that will not fail you, and God can be that for you. Verse 18 says that in fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us by the word of we get, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Did you catch it? James is still using the same metaphor. Earlier it went like this: desire conceives sin, and sin grows, and when it when it's fully grown, it gives birth to death. At this point in the passage, God gives us birth to life. And he gives us birth by the word of truth. Out there in the desert, when the hungry Jesus faced the temptation to turn stones into bread, you know what the first thing he said was? It is written. Jesus depended on the written word of God to recognize temptation and to endure temptation. Psalm 119.9 says this, How can young people keep their way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Daily time in the Word, weekly time with God's people gathered around the Word forms the kind of training that we need to be able to say no to temptation. The Bible helps us 
to be able to say no. But we need to let the Bible help us with more than just saying no. You see, if your time in the Bible has you saying no to a lot of things, pretty soon you'll be very religious about what you don't do. And as soon as faith becomes defined by what we don't do, a whole other temptation pops up, and that's the temptation to laziness and sloth. Where our life is really clean, but we're not serving anywhere at all. What's more, when we've said no to, to more than one temptation and we've got a little more time on our hands because we're not out doing all that stuff, we have a temptation again to, to look beyond our life into the life of our neighbor. You see, if you get victory over one temptation or two temptations or three temptations, you're going to have another one and that temptation will be to judge someone who's still struggling. James 4.12 says, There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? Back in the Garden of Eden, their temptation was to take the fruit. And it was actually a temptation to take the place of God after we've resisted a few temptations, we're going to be tempted to take the place of God by judging someone else who struggles. Think about this. The minute you're on this journey and you think to yourself, I've been in the Word. I've been fasting. And I've been praying. And you know what? It's been like six weeks since I've... I'm enduring temptation. All of a sudden, you may not even know it, but you're staring at the temptation toward the sin of pride. I think that's why James uses the word endure. The contest against temptation isn't a sprint. It isn't a hundred meter dash. It's a marathon that lasts our entire lives. We run past one temptation, we'll run right into another one. We will continue to be tempted. So the question is, how, how do we endure temptation for the long haul? James 1.12 says, Blessed is anyone who endures temptation, such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Temptation begins with desire, but guess what? Victory begins with desire too. An ancient famous preacher wrote a sermon. His name was Char Thomas Chalmers. He, he wrote this sermon and he gave the sermon this title. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. To endure temptation and receive the crown of life, we need to ask God to change our desires. 
Out there in Arizona, our teens learned that the Christian life of following Jesus is really about loving God and loving others and living out love. Jesus said that the whole law, all of Scripture, hangs on these two things, loving God and loving our neighbor. And you can't love God really and truly without loving your neighbor, and you can't love your neighbor really and fully without the love of God in your life. You see, enduring temptation is a marathon, which means enduring temptation is just it's this lifetime of steps. And it's like, it's, it's like the right foot is loving God and the left foot is loving neighbor. The right foot is loving God and the left foot is loving neighbor. And we, we run through life in this marathon, loving God and loving others, and loving God and loving others, and loving God and loving others, loving God and loving others. But the truth of the matter is the ability to run like that is a gift from God. If we don't receive the love of God in our life, we're not going to be able to complete the marathon. And if we're going to avoid temptation, if we're going to endure temptation, we've got to receive something to fill the void that all of our no's Creates, we've got to receive the love of God. And once we've received it, it's, it's like the motor that those really good runners have. You know, you've heard them say, got the, that one's really got a motor. Because they're just always running one step after another and one step after another and one step after another. And it's like to endure temptation is a marathon where we're loving God and loving others and loving God and loving others and loving God and loving others and loving God and loving others for for an entire life. And when all of our energy is poured into loving God and loving others, we don't really have anything left to chase the temptation that we run by. in a drastic step to remove temptation. John Eads picked up his family and moved them to a town 300 miles away from the nearest casino and gambling place. Talk about a marathon. He said a 300-mile no to his temptation. But here's the thing. It wasn't enough. After they'd lived there only a few weeks, he, st- he secretly started stashing money in his car trunk for a planned trip over six hours to a, to a casino he'd already selected. You see, no wasn't enough. But John had also said yes when his wife asked him if the whole family could, could worship at a church together regularly. So while John was squirreling away money in the trunk of his car, he was coming to church week after week after week, and he was hearing about God's love, and God began to get a hold of his heart. He began to open the Scripture once in a while and pray between the Sundays. John began to desire a deep and healthy relationship with his family and with God. It was a few months after they moved that his 27-year-old daughter attempted to take her own life. She survived, and he was grateful. And at that point, John Eads finally realized that he wanted to love God, and he wanted to love his wife, and he wanted to love his daughter. 
more than he wanted to love gambling. So he opened his trunk and he took out the $600 he'd squirreled away and he gave it to his wife, but more importantly, he opened up his heart to the love of God that now gives him regular victory over temptation. Day in, day out, week in, week out, he endures. Within a few short years, God crowned John with a brand new life. He still helps people find freedom from addiction but he does it not just from a desire for a career or some more money to go spend at the casino. He does it from a whole new motivation. He lives his life loving God and loving others and loving God and loving others and loving God and loving others. Not only has he been doing that, John Eads has led in his church with integrity for more than a decade of loving God and loving others and loving God and loving others. He's poured out his life in that marathon and he doesn't have enough left to go chasing his temptation. Enduring temptation begins by asking God to change our desires to the point where we love God and love others as a way of life. You see, that kind of desire prompts us to every no and every yes we'll ever need to say. Sometimes at this point I ask you a question, are you struggling with? I'm going to assume yes. You're tempted because you're still on the marathon. It's a lifelong race. Do you need God to work on your desires today? You need him to fill up some place in your life with a new desire of love for God and love for others so that you can endure. <laughs> Every perfect gift comes from above. God wants to give you the kind of love that will so fill your life that you know where to say no and you know where to say yes. I'm going to invite our worship leaders to come and to lead us in a song that starts by talking about our desires. If you just want God to renew your love and, and to help you overcome temptation, you're welcome to come and kneel at this altar of prayer and ask Him to fill your life with the kind of love that will keep you, keep you enduring forever. Maybe, maybe you know of someone who's desperately resisting temptation or at least trying to. And you want to come and pray that God would change their desires. This altar is a good place to do that. But the truth of the matter is, this whole room is the presence of the Lord. I want to invite you to stand with us this morning. And as you sing, I want to invite you to ask God to transform and change your desires and our desires. So that we're able one day to receive the crown of life that God has prepared for those who love him. That's the secret to enduring temptation. It's a new desire. Loving God. Loving others. Let's sing together this morning.